Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people. Your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. Welcome to Marin Costello Radio. Ladies and gents, we have such a special guest today on the show. Bree Jacoby is the founder and CEO of the hottest growing personal shopping service, eponymously called Bree Jacoby home of style, which currently operates in Los Angeles with members expanding across the country. She is also the host of Undressed by Brie Jacoby, a podcast about the lifestyle of entrepreneurs, socialites, and business moguls who have built or sold multi-million to billion dollar businesses. Brie's styling company sold over a million dollars in its first year and is currently on track for 200% growth with a team of personal shoppers. Her vision was to change the future of how, when, and where people shop, making it convenient and easy to get dressed with her three-step approach to style. Number one, editing the closet. Number two, building the wardrobe. And number three, maintaining it with being styled. Brie has built a book of high net worth clients with their popular subscription-based membership model. She now has a team of stylists and is continuing to build her team to deliver exceptional experiences to the company's members to expand across the U.S. Ladies and gentlemen, Brie Jacoby. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm like, welcome, welcome. I'm like, no, no, I'm the one coming on the show. <laughs> no, I just, it is so cool to say I know I knew you when. I mean, when did we meet? Years ago. I think I still had long brown hair. Did yes, we meet? You did. Right? You're you're the queen of a transformation. <laughs> I met you when I started my business. That was like four years ago. Yeah. Probably four years. Like I remember right when I started my business and then we met and I forgot who we met from or how, but yeah, I remember we met and you were also like, we were both such gung-ho entrepreneurs and we totally clicked. And then, yeah, I mean, here we are four years later. It's just, it's, it's wild. It's It's wild. And just kind of been fans and cheerleaders from afar. It's really been a pleasure to you know, see you and champion you, you know, when we're as entrepreneurs, we kind of get wrapped up in our own worlds and thank goodness for social media, because we're able to kind of catch up on our people (laughs) when we want, but it's just been such a pleasure seeing how you have, you know, grown into being the, the impressive woman that you are and seeing you build this company. And it's just been, thank you. It's so so inspirational. It's so wonderful. So on the show, we like to kind of get a backstory of our guests as well. I mean, we can talk about your accomplishments all day long, but we do want to get it behind the scenes to kind of know the essence of Brie Jacoby, right? So one of our most popular questions is, what was little Brie like? Oh my God, I was a fighter. (laughs) Little Brie was was a force to be reckoned with. I started my first business at 12 years old. Wow. And I designed, I actually was a jewelry designer. Wow. Remember, do you remember when Sorosky crystal bracelets were a thing? Like, how yep. old are you? Are you I'm 32. 30? And I'm thir- almost 30. Okay. So we grew up same time frame. 89. Are you 89? Or I guess 88. 88. 88. Yeah. 89. So yeah. one in the same. So when, I, when we were growing up, do you remember like Sorosky crystal bracelets that were like stretchy? They were okay. everything. They were, they were like the thing, right? So I remember I used to carry a box like a clear little purse, a box. And I would bring it to school and I'd fill it up with a sourcey crystal bracelets. And I would sell them to like in middle school, I was in seventh grade when I was doing this. And I was just a hustler. I was a hustler from a really young age and grew up being like, 
you know, I grew up, you know, upper middle class. Um, but I saw my parents work so hard every day, every day. It was, you know, even though we grew up nice, it was my parents worked really hard for everything that we had. And I knew what work ethic was from a young age. And I saw my parents, they're both entrepreneurs running their business. And I sort of emulated that at a young age being like, well, I knew what it took to do this. I saw their struggles. I saw them succeed. I saw them fight. I saw them make up. Like I saw all of it. And when I was young, I was like, God, I really, I really want to do this. And I want to make money. And I was, I was hungry. I was super hungry from a young age. And I, uh, yeah, I sold jewelry. I did that for a long time. And then as I grew up, you know, when I was 16, I got a job in retail. I worked in restaurants. I've been working since I really was, I guess, 13 years old and I never stopped. I've been a workhorse. I love working. I think it gives you a sense of self and, and maybe in some ways to my, not a good thing is a part of my identity. Right. But I am so in love with building brands and building things and innovating and doing stuff that people haven't done. And I, I was, I'll tell you something that's really funny growing up is when I was young, I always wanted to do a lot of things. I was like, I want to be this. I want to be this. I want to be a director. I want to be a producer. I like, I was, I remember like my space and you used to be able to put a song. Like, here's my vibe. Like, here's a song you're going to hear when you come to my page. And it was like some cool ass shit, you know? And I don't know if I can cuss on this. Of course it's my show. Yes. Okay, <laughs> People ask that often. And I'm like, if anyone knows me in my personal life, there's nothing I love more than like a well put together woman who can curse, pro- you know, like, right. a oh curse word from a well put together woman is like, <laughs> <laughs> Same. I'm like, I'm a sailor kind of so perfect. I'm glad we got that. Got that up. Anyway. So I wanted to be a lot of things and I didn't know that it was entrepreneurship. I didn't know that's exactly what it was, even though I wanted that from a young age growing up, and I worked, I, I interned, you know, now you have younger people who are like, they don't even know what it's like to work for free. I mean, I right. worked for free for so many people, juicy and like PR. And I tried a lot of different things because I was bored. I would get bored in like six months. I'd be like, Oh, I'm bored. I need to do the next thing. And it was because, you know, I, I felt all this pressure to figure it out fast. And I don't know if you felt the same way growing up, but I felt pressure of like, well, you have to know what college you want to go to. You need to know what you need to do. You need to know what you want. And I was like, I don't even know what I want. I just know that I'm, I was a complete socialite in high school. Uh, even in, in middle school, I was like, I was popular, but I was friends with everybody. I was (laughs) friends with everybody. I didn't care. I wasn't judgmental. I was, you know, I wrote on the newspaper, um, I did advertising sales for the newspaper in high school, uh, you know, and I had a lot of friends in different groups. I was never a clicky person and I got along with a lot of different people, but I was a party animal, um, never did drugs, never drank, but I threw parties and I was friends with a lot of guys. And when college came, it was, where do I want to go? What do I want to, what do I want to do? And I went to Boulder, Boulder, Colorado, my first year of college, honestly, because I didn't know where else I wanted to go. I was like, ASU is a little too sorority vibe for me. Indiana that I got into Purdue, it's like farm town. I'm like, that's not me either. And so I decided to go somewhere where I even don't like snow. And I moved to Boulder, Colorado. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Small town and snow. I'm from LA and I hate the snow. We'll, we'll call it well-rounded. <laughs> I'm well Exactly. Well-rounded. <laughs> trying to really be well-versed. And I still, you know, didn't know what I wanted until I was about 27 years old, but I, I, it took a lot of me 
fighting with society of figuring out quick. I didn't know what I wanted, feeling a lot of pressure from a young age of being able to figure it out. And then I started my retail career at 18. And that's when I, that's when it started clicking. Cause then I started realizing what I was really good at and what I love to do, which I loved being around people. I loved sales. I loved marketing. Um, I loved fashion and it, and it came really natural to me. And I, I think that you need to find things. I needed to find something that I love doing that I was just good at naturally. And then you just stick to your strengths and you can kind of go from there. But I was sassy. I was sassy as fuck at a young age. God, I remember when guys would hit on me and I'd be like, dude, I know your intention. Like, I know what you're like. I had an older, I have an older brother and I was friends with a lot of guys. So I'm like, I could read bullshit from a mile away. And I've always been opinionated. I've always been sassy. I've always had a big personality. I've kind of been um, unapologetically myself for my whole life. I've been confident as a young girl. Um, I was a dancer from age two, I then became a competitive dancer, uh, in ballroom at 12. So my parents kind of, from a young age, exposed me to a lot of things that helped me build a solid, solid rock foundation where I could take risks and where I could also feel like I could go do what I wanted to do and come back. But, you know, saving money, I learned how to do that from a very young age and being smart with that or traveling. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess the best way to say it is I was just, I did what I wanted and I always have <laughs> for my young age. It's so, it's so refreshing to hear that because I think that oftentimes like society will tell women to not be so bold or not be so confident. And I just love that you showed up and were like, no, this is who I am. My, no? my jewelry business that I had. So this is really funny. Okay. When I was making jewelry, I, now I'm in high school. And I have one friend of me to this day. And it was this girl who was best friends with in high school who started her jewelry business, even though I started mine in middle school. And she comes to me and I start, whatever. We had this like friend feud. And she was, I was like, should we be business partners? And she was like, no. And I'm like, okay. But I'm like, I'm all about like team partner, how to do things together, collaborate. Like I'm so about that all the time. It's just like how I operate, how my brain thinks. Like I like win-win all the time. But I remember being in high school, starting this jewelry business. And I, I was going to this jewelry store that would, you know, I'd buy my jewelry stuff from. And the girl that was there was making these hand wired written necklaces. And they like said things on it. Like you could customize it, whatever. And I'm like, are you selling these anywhere? And she's like, no. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to do it for you. And I was like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to design X, Y, and Z. And I started making words. And one of my words was be bold. I did, I did all these different words that had to do with like women being confident. And, and then she started producing it for me and I started selling it and I got an LF and all these places. And I just remember, um, I just remember, yeah, that was kind of who I've, I've always been. I've always stood for that is, is, you know, it, it pained me when I would meet women who are like super insecure. Cause I was like, God, how do I like help you with that? Or like, how do I make you feel what I feel every day? Which is just like, I always say this and it's kind of funny and probably a turnoff to some people, but I go, the devil's afraid of me when I wake up in the morning because I wake up with, I'm just like, let's get shit done. Like I'm very fierce. I'm very quick. Um, pretty, pretty masculine. I would say in, in business, um, you know, but I think a lot of that comes from my childhood and watching my mom work and watching her do basically it all, raise the kids, have a company, and I, I thought, God, I wanted to be able to do that so I can kind of chill when I have kids a little bit and build it. So I, I had felt the pressure from a young age to like make it happen fast. So then I didn't have to restart everything later in life. 
So yeah, I don't know. That's awesome. Was the jewelry business your first memory of fashion or do you have memories yeah. prior to that? It's <laughs> a great question. My grandmother, my mom was kind of adopted and my grandmother, I would go into her, I always would go into people's closets. Like I would go into her closet and I would just have a ball. I mean, I would look at her Diane von Furstenberg dresses, which she gave me. And I, I still have it to this day and I've never worn it. It's just something nostalgic, but she would show me her clothes or I'd look at her shoes. I had a Southern accent as a kid. I don't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> I do love the South, but it makes no fucking sense. I don't know if I watched Gone with the Wind too many times. Or like, because you're from Los Angeles, yeah? <laughs> from L- I say I'm from Southern California because I love the South. Like I truly right. love this, everything about the South. I just love it. And <laughs> I had a, I had a Southern accent for some reason, like maybe it came out in certain ways. And I was very close to my neighbor on the corner and I had a Barbie car and I like, I grew up with a lot of guys around me and I was like the girl on the street that was like, they called me Jaja, Jaja Gabor, which is, she had like nine husbands and like the latest person was like a prince, whatever. My was my nickname. <laughs> and then my nickname was that because Jaja just did whatever the fuck she wanted. And Nadine, who was, who is my neighbor, my childhood neighbor was basically a second mom to me. And she was incredibly into fashion. Very, very, very fashion savvy. And my mom isn't really like that. Even my parents work in design, but my mom was never a fashionista ever, even though she's gorgeous and she dresses well, she just wasn't, she didn't care about that shit. She just didn't care. And I got a lot of that, I think from Nadine because I would go to her house. And so when I was little, they had to put a lock on the door because I would escape and then walk down to her house because she just like got me because she was fashion and she had sons. And like, I was like her little girl. And I was like, Nadine, what size brassiere do you wear? Like I was super into clothing and fashion and style and like why I gave a shit about boobs. I wanted boobs so bad from a young age. I was <laughs> like, I'll never forget. I was just, I, I think I wanted to be older so badly. And I emulating women that I like looked up to. I was just very curious. I was like a very curious girl when I was young and yeah, I guess my earliest fashion memory would probably be my brassiere conversation with Nadine. I think she laughed at me. And then to this day, it's like a, a joke of like, do you remember when you asked me about my brassiere size? Like, why'd you ask me that? And then, uh, and then, yeah. And then my grandmother and then looking in closets and being super like interested in style. And then when I was 13, starting the jewelry business. I love that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's so, that's so fun. I feel like I, I felt a sense of peace when I turned 30 because I felt older than I was from age one to 30. I mean, my twenties, I thought for me were so uncomfortable because I was like, everyone around me is making these appropriately 20 year old decisions, but I was doing this in my teens. So just like, get me to 30, please. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's Mm kind of how I felt too. And I had gone to college. I'm like, I don't want to waste time. I'm ready to start working. I'm ready to start making money. I want to get ahead of the game. When everyone graduates, I want to have my career already set, you know? Right. So you have your entrepreneurial background from your parents and then you went to school. Was there a part of school that you brought into your career or was school just kind of it? There was, what did you study at school? 
I went to Boulder, Colorado and realized fast that I wasn't a big school kind of girl. I didn't like the hundred people classrooms. I had a learning disability growing up. It was just not my thing. I needed one-on-one attention. I like smaller, intimate style classrooms. So I left Boulder and came back. I went to Santa Monica city college for a year and started interning and working. And then I moved I wanted to go to NYU so badly, but my mom's like, if you go, you're gonna take out a loan. And I'm like, oh, screw that. And then she was like, she threatened me with a good time. She was like, honestly, I'm gonna leave it up to you. But if you come home, you have a little money in your college account, I'll give you all of it. And you can start building your future and go get a job and go to CSUN, Cal State Northridge. And I was like, you know what? That sounds like a pretty good deal. And that's what I did. And when I was, and I worked all throughout college, I, I worked in retail. I worked for Alice and Olivia in Malibu. And that's when I started getting my chomps down in retail and like falling in love with that. I just like fell in love with it, saved a lot of money. And I took a lot of that into my career. I was a marketing minor and all of my marketing classes, like I did an entrepreneurship class where I had to come up with, I came up with a company um, called CAF. It was like classy as fuck. No one knew what it meant, but it was called CAF. And it was a men's, a men's lifestyle retail company. And it was like how to make a dude really cool. It was like the cool coffee table books and candles. And like, I emulated my brother because my brother's really, my brother's just really cool. He's just a cool dude, great style. And I'm like, I want to make other guys cool. Like, how can I do that? And so I got really into men's style, like men's fashion, whatever. But I built a lot of businesses when I was in college and the entrepreneurship classes were my favorite. And I knew I was good at it too, because I was winning. I was like winning, like I won best, you know, best, a company, that company, I won the best in the whole class and people voted on my business. And then I also created um, a huge like SWOT analysis of Buffalo Exchange. And they came up with a company called Take Two, where celebrities would sell their garments and then we'd have it for live auction. It's like the real, real, but if real, real had celebrities attached to it, and then you could buy their items, like being in their closet. And that's like when I realized, God, I like love doing this, but I still didn't know exactly what I wanted. But those that again, it gave me the confidence to say, I know how to build a business plan. I know how I'm, I'm a really good marketer. I know that I really like creating business. I know that when I'm in a team, I work really well in teams, but I am like the leader to like, I, I can come up with the idea. I came up with a vision. I'll be like, okay, cool. You're executing this. I'm doing X, Y, Z. Like I knew that I was good at those things or that I actually loved doing it for sure. College definitely helped me, but I think going to CSUN was the best decision. I saved so much money and I thought the, I thought the, it, I learned so much going to school there more than I did spending $40,000 a year going to um, Boulder. And I don't want to deter anybody away if they are going there, but it just, it wasn't, it wasn't for me. I had partied too, you know, enough in high school or when I got to college, I was like, I'm ready to get serious. So that was just, you know, it's really refreshing because I went to UCLA and I think it was more for the merit and the clout of the name of the school, but we didn't have, or at least back then we didn't have an entrepreneurial minor even. I mean, there was a business economics degree, but that was essentially accounting, right? Like I was like, I, my thought was, no, I want all the nuance of business. I want to have a well-rounded version. Like I can love business accounting, but I can hire an accountant. I want to know the the ins and outs of a business. Exactly. So I think it's really, you know, for listeners who might be you know, thinking about college or maybe going back to college, one, you don't need college to 
to start a business and right. succeed in the business, but there are programs out there that might not have the name of the school attached to it, but they might actually be more geared towards what you want to do. I wanted, I, I also was like, you know, maybe I should get my master's degree. And then I'm like, but that's a hundred thousand dollars. Would I rather go buy a piece of property? And the thing is that I think people get so concerned with school because at the end of the day, they might just be in fear of actually starting a business. But the only way to figure it out is just to get started. And it's okay to fail and it's better to fail forward and save the money, but like just start it. And the number one thing with starting a business is, you know, I was like, God, I hate operations, but the first employee I had like was really good at it. So I'm like, perfect. But I'm like, you know what I can do? And this is what I would say for all entrepreneurs is like, if you can sell and you know how to sell your passion, that's all you really need. Like if you can sell ice to an Eskimo and you are a true salesperson, if you're not, then you need to get someone on your team that is, because that's all you need at the end of the day. And I knew that if I could sell, that's what you need to start a business. Like you need to be able to sell yourself, your idea, your vision, what you guys do have a value add in people's lives. And then you've got yourself a business, but it's just about getting started. And I, I'd love to tell a story really, really fast about yeah. this, which gave me the encouragement and the belief that I could do it is I was at my last company. So I worked for my parents' business for two and a half years, left that, went to trunk club for a year and a half, told myself I'd be there for a max two years. I wanted to know why they were the next best, best thing in retail. What were they doing? They'd already been sold. And I went there and then I was, uh, I did really well um, there, built a massive book of business and took it very seriously. I mean, people that worked with me in that, in that company were like, God, Brie takes this way serious. And I was like, you know why? Because I'm putting a time limit on this and I'm going to be building my own company. That's what I want to do. And I've been doing this a lot longer than most of these people. I've been in retail for like eight years. I knew how to do it. And I had the business experience with my parents, but I was still scared. I still did not fully believe that like, I knew exactly what it was that I wanted, but I did a lot of research in the space for about six months before I decided to like pull the plug and really do this. The day that I was about to quit, I think it might've been the day before I quit. I called my mom, I was in the car driving and I called her and she knew my concept. It was like, I want to change retail. I want to be better than what this company does. A little bit of a different market. I want recurring revenue with, you know, services. I want to charge for our time. I, I knew that if I felt this way, there were probably a lot of other stylists that felt this way, but none of them really had a business model when I was doing a lot of interviewing with stylists. They didn't have a business model. They didn't, they had an hourly model, whatever. So I knew I was onto something. And that's like the confidence I got in college was like, no, I do know how to build a business. I do know how to do this. But I called my mom and I said, what if it doesn't work out? And she said, just jump. And it was like that moment where I never looked back and I, and I thought she's right. Like, what do I have to lose if it doesn't work out next? Right. And you just have to kind of like move forward. And a lot of being an entrepreneur is flying without a direction or flying without, you know, what's, what's the term? It's like you're in a plane and you're trying to, you're trying to like fly the plane, but you don't really know how to be a pilot yet. And that's kind of what it is, you know, and you have to be able to fly the seat of your pants and, I never looked back and it was kind of like, okay, now I'm going to be fearless and I'm just going to go for it. And there, I don't doubt anything that I am able to achieve now because it was the first year of being, I thought, I think I was pretty humble. My first year of like, you know what? I don't want to raise money. 
I still haven't to this day, but it was very much like, I'm going to prove this. I'm going to prove that I can do it. I'm going to prove that I have what it takes. I'm going to prove it to myself. I probably had a bit of an edge of like, I think a lot of it probably came from like a place of like, I want to prove everyone wrong, or I want to prove that like, I can do this. And that gave me a lot of encouragement and a lot of like, oomph. it also hardened me a lot. And I've had to like work backwards on like how to become more vulnerable and how to become softer because I was so fierce and like, so um, like a driving force that I think it was like, I didn't feel emotion. I didn't, I remember there were times where I'm like, why am I not crying? Because I was so, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I was so like tunnel vision and like, I don't give a fuck about anything else. I just need to make this shit happen where I was like, take no prisoners, but it, it did harden me. So I've had to like actually undo a lot of stuff of like, just soften up, like stopping some masculine, Same. let the edge down, you know, going to therapy, like all of these things I've had to do because I think I felt the pressure being a woman. I felt the pressure being able to figure it out before having kids. And I did it all to myself. Like no one else did that to me. I did it to me, but I don't regret anything because it got me to where I am now. Totally. No, I definitely have a, a similar experience in what people, you know, designers might be mostly women in the jewelry space, but the production, the behind the scenes, it's still very much a male dominated space, which is wonderful. I love it when, you know, communities can come together on both sides of any spectrum. Right. Um, but I do think that for myself, similarly to you, it was through therapy that I was able to like soften, harness my divine feminine, um, because it does business does harden you because it It is very black and white, you know, the gray area exists more so in, in, um, personal relationships and less so in business. Business is pretty binary. And I, and I can be very black and white sometimes, like a lot of the time. <laughs> a lot of the time. And it doesn't always serve me in the best way. But you know, um I I had met a lot of women when I was working in my parents' business and I'd go to these like beautiful homes and design. I was in the window treatment business before doing a trunk club in my company. And I would go into these homes where these women's these women I would meet left their careers to either become a housewife or a mom. And a lot of them were really unhappy, really unhappy. And that's when I realized, God, that's not for me. That's just so not what I want. Like, I want to not have to lose myself or my ambition or my career to do that. And that's why I felt so much pressure to figure it out or also just to like build wealth before I turn like 35 when I really want to like start a family so then I can you know, take a year and not have to be so crazy and like spend time with my kids and being able to raise my children. Nothing wrong though, with women who've also figured it out later in life while having kids. I just think I saw my mom do it. And I, I thought, God, I don't want to, I don't want to feel like that. I don't want that. And, um, yeah, I probably compared myself a lot, a lot to that situation, but Well, I think it just sounds like you had the great honor of having exposure, right? Like not only did you have like your mother who is, you know, you are the spawn of someone who was an example to you of sorts, but you also just being, you know, a a younger sibling and also just being in different environments, you were exposed to a lot. So I'm sure that that gave you perspective that, you know, for a lot of people might be conceptual, but for you, it was your everyday life. It was your practice. Yeah, totally. I mean, driving to school and my mom would be taking business calls. And I'm like, why can't you pay attention to me? You know, and she was like on business calls. And like, I saw all of that. And at the time I was, she always says it like, you hated when I would do that. You'd hate when I wasn't 
you know, cause it was frustrating. It was frustrating. Cause you're like, guess what? Pay attention to me, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. And it was like listening to business, but it also in a lot of ways gave me, gave me the confidence to my mom is an also she's a survivor and she's a take no prisoner kind of person. And my mom is completely like just get shit done woman. And I did watch that. So in a lot of ways, you know, I have taken that on for good or for bad, but you know, I, I, I would equivalent success financially to the fact that I grew up with somebody like that. That's awesome. So how much did you, cause you said that you were a saver. Did you save a particular amount before starting your business? Cause you said that you didn't have investors. I haven't either. I, I applaud you. It took, you know, we're few and far between. Um, how much did you save and how much did you think was an appropriate amount to save? And what would you advise other people to maybe have before starting? When I was in college, so my, uh, I'm just going to be super transparent. My grandmother who passed away had saved quite a bit of money for me going to college, lost most of it in the stock market. Then what happened was I had about $60,000 left in that account, went to Boulder, spent $40,000 of it. So I had $20,000 left. That's when I had to make that decision of, do I want to spend the rest of the 20 and go in debt to go to NYU? which by the way, I didn't even get into it, but like, if I got in, I would have like, I and I was like a 3.2 student. Like I wasn't dumb, but I wasn't like a 4.0. And I, and I was like, what's the smarter decision. And then that's when I decided I'm going to save a 20, I'm going to move home and I'm going to start working in retail. I had saved money and lived at home for, I forgot how many years I'm really bad with timelines, probably five years. And I had saved up a hundred thousand dollars. So I saved $80,000 working part-time in retail, making like $40,000 a year. So when girls tell me they can't do it, I'm like, well, I did it and I made no money. And I was never the fashion girl who bought all the clothes in retail ever, like never, never, never. I was never that person. So even though I'm a fashionista, I'm savvy with what I spend money on. And I was never the girl who like dropped all over money on clothes. I just was like way more into business than I was into fashion. And so I saved a hundred thousand dollars, started the business and my mom loaned me. I don't remember why this happened, but she did. I think maybe she, they like wanted to help me just like get a kick off of my company, but they gave me, I want to say they gave me like two months worth of rent. Cause I had a, we space. So it might've been like $6,000 I borrowed from them. And the rest was me it took me about $10,000 at the company up and running. You know, I got the garment bags, I got the office space at WeWork, and then I paid my parents back. So all in all, it took me about $10,000 at the company up and then paid my parents back the six, but I didn't want to bring on any outside capital. I just wanted to prove that I could do it and prove that I could build a sales machine of these like stylists and like figuring out, okay, we can make money this way. We can make money this way. How do we scale this? Okay, great. And like to this day, I don't need investment. I don't need investors. Uh, I'm just really scrappy. I'm very scrappy with how we run this. And I run lean. I run, uh, you know, I've done a million jobs, like it probably to my detriment, right? Like, so has my right hand chief of staff. She's had 15 jobs, you know, and that's just what it's been. And now I'm at the point where we're four years in, we've tripled in size in revenue. We're, well, that's when we're on track to doing around 4.5 this year. And I have a team of six stylists. We have members, like about 160 members across the country right now. 
And I want to scale to like 300 by the end of the year. We want to be bull, but like, I want to be $10 million business next year. Okay. How do I get from 10 to 50? How do I get from 50 to hundred? How do I get hundred to 150 in the next like eight years? And that's what I, that's where I want to take the business. But I'm now at the point where I actually am bringing on top leadership in order to scale and making these investments. You know, I, I belong to different organizations with entrepreneurs and they say the best way you can spend money is take it and invest it right back into your company. I've taken money out to, you know, of like, I pay myself very, 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 very little. Uh, and I don't even think about that because I'm just like, look at the bottom line. What do we make this year? And then you just keep saving and take a little bit to yourself. And then you invest some, most of it back into the business, whether it's hiring more people going towards marketing, it gives you freedom to then build and build and build and build. And, and now it's, um, you know, you can't do it all alone. I don't have any partners. I own the company hundred percent, but I will say I have a very, very loyal team who's in it to win it, who sees my vision, who eats, who they breathe it the same way I do, but I'm the visionary. And so my job is to make sure everyone has the right job, uh, that I'm building the business the way that it needs to be built in order to get to the ultimate Bree Jacoby. And then also how do I bring on mentors for my current leadership team? Because I can't, I can't, you know, uh, be spread thin. So I've brought on people from even, you know, the woman who was a chief of training and chief of people at trunk club. I brought her in as a consultant to help my chief of staff because I can't dedicate that time to mentor her. So I'm like, you know what? I'll find someone better at that. I think that's what you have to do when you, when you grow. And I'm not in a place of being fearful of like, ah, do I have the money to do X, Y, Z or like, do I need that? And I think you can get free, you can get cheap money now too, where you don't actually need to raise money. But for something like this, you know, it's, it is so personal because it's my name. It's my brand. It's my vision. It's like a, it's a very much a personal brand to me. And I think most people with their names attached to their companies, it feels so personal, but in long of the short of it is that this won't be my only business. I'm working on something else right now that actually is not my name. And that I'm like, that's no personal attachment. That's the company I would raise money for. That's where I'd bring on advisors. So it's, I've, I've now I'm learning both sides of the, the coin versus just being so attached to like my name and my business. And, you know, it's not even an ego thing at the end of the day. Like I truly didn't even know what to name this company, which is why I named it my name. Cause I'm like, I can't get sick of that. Like I have to live with myself. <laughs> Our stories are similar in that way. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was younger, I had to create a business because I was getting big press. My stuff was like magically, you know, on American Idol. And I thought, well, everything else has a timestamp. I'll just do a DBA later and put it under my name. And then here we are. <laughs> and you it's, know? it's so, yeah, it's so funny, but it makes it when it is your name and you're like, God, I don't want to sell my name. Like I have no intention of selling my name. I'm like, I can create it to be like a marketing funnel. Use me. I was like the face. I'm just like, I don't, I think of it from like a very, um, the way that I think of this business is very much from like a bird's eye view and like a fly on the wall of like, how can I use me? How can I leverage me as like a person where I'm like, almost like dictate. It's so weird to even say this out loud. Cause I've never said this to anybody, but I like look at myself and I'm like, okay, Brie, you're a woman and you can, you have a custom clothing business for men. Use yourself. You are going to go sh like, I can figure out ways to just use myself as like a marketing funnel to then help my team get business, help the company get business and do what I need to do to leverage myself in order to grow something like this. So it doesn't feel a as personal and B it's like long-term, it's like a, a vision way of thinking with 
with something like this. Um, but I didn't want to build a mom and pop business. I didn't want to be a small little company, nothing wrong with that. My parents are that, and they do really well and they have a nice lifestyle. And, but I'm like, God, no, I want to like change. I want to change the industry. Like, I don't want to, I want to be famous for that. I want my legacy to be so impactful that people are like, God, this company really created new experiences for how people get dressed and how they shop and like really, truly help people. That's awesome. You mentioned um, a while back about scaling. What was your first moment where you one hired like your first hire? At what point were you like, okay, now I don't have the bandwidth myself or now we're making so much revenue that I need to hire. And secondarily, when was the moment that you, wh- when was the challenge presented to you of like, oh, now this is our opportunity to scale. And what did that mean for you? Yeah. When I started the business, one of the girls on my team at trunk club, we went to coffee and she's like, I just want you to know that if you ever leave, I'm coming with you. And I go, okay. I don't even know what we're doing. Then I came back to her. I did it. That's when I actually, it, it like lit a fire under my ass. Cause I'm like, I can't let this chick down. Like <laughs> she's gonna leave this company for me, not even knowing how she's going to get paid. To be honest, that really helped me because it pushed me because I was like, I feel responsible for this person. Like forget myself. Like I feel actually financially responsible. It's almost like I'm mentoring somebody. Like I felt like, God, okay. I can't let this girl down. Like I have to keep going. I have to keep going. She's relying on me for her future, you know? And in a lot of ways it really helped. It pushed me and it, I work so well in teams. Like I don't want to do stuff alone. I'm like, let's collaborate. Let's do this together. So I had done a lot of research. I interviewed a lot of stylists. I found a company that could produce my custom clothing. It was one of the first things I did. Then I brought on Bloomingdale's and then I, some clients came with us, some clients in it, but she was my first hire and we were both stylists and we both were gung ho and we're like, let's go crush it. Like we were on the same team, like I said, at trunk club. And then we just decided let's like, I was like, I'm going to start this business, come with me. And that's when she came with me. And I was like, I'll pay you X amount of dollars. Like I, she wasn't even an employee for the first year. Like I, we didn't, I didn't know what this company was going to be. A lot of it was testing shit out together. And like, we work really well collaborating. Like I could tell her an idea and she'd be like, done, cool. Like she's very much a doer and I'm like the vision. So I'm like, let's do this. And she's like, cool, I'll go do it. And that was kind of our vibe. And for the first few months, we did the exact same shit. Like it was like, let's go build business and let's call our clients and let's do we work and whatever. And like, she sold what I sold. And I was a stronger salesperson than she was, but she was also a good salesperson. And we played off our strengths. And for the first year, I'm like, I got to stop pulling clothes. Like I can't do any of the leg work. I just need to go out and hunt and you need to gather. And right. that's when we split off that first year after like maybe three to six months, I stopped doing all of my own pulls. She did everything for me. So she was kind of like in a lot of ways, sort of like my styling assistant, And that's when we leveraged me to go out and get new and hunt and be people facing and go and network. And that was what I like. I love that. And she hated that. And then that's when we started hiring. We made a lot of, I mean, I made a lot of mistakes, my business. I'll take all the blame. I made a lot of mistakes with hiring, firing, I turn and burn. It was like that for two years, really. And that is what a lot of it is in, you know, in a startup, you figure out what your culture is. You figure out what kind of people you want to be around. I remember when I was like, God, this person's so excited about my business. And then I'm like, even though they're not right, the right fit, like you get so wrapped up in the excitement of like, oh my God, wait, this person's passionate about it. Like me. 
but they might not be the right fit at all. And I like, I'd fall for that, like a hopeless romantic every time, like, oh my God, this starting over, starting over. But it was like this adrenaline feeling of like, that's not actually the right person for the company. And I only know that now because I've made mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes and yeah. And then, you know, and so Brooke now is uh, my chief of staff and we have a team of six people. So she, and then, but she still sells and she, you know, she still has a lot of jobs and I still have a lot of jobs. So, but we're at the point now only because we've, we're on track to triple that we can, I can now look at the business and say, I need to streamline your job. I need to streamline my job. We need to hire maybe two more people. That's, but it's only because we have the money to do it where I'm like, okay, now this makes sense. Now I'm ready do to do you, this. Do you work 24 seven or do you carve out time for your, no, for yourself? I, I used to, I used to live like that. And it just made me, it just makes you miserable. Mm-hmm. I used to just be nonstop, nonstop. And the thing is that what I do is so fun and it is sales and it's relationships and it's marketing that I would do it anyways. Like, even if it was free, I would still do this. Like I, even if I made a billion dollars tomorrow, I wouldn't not do what I do. Right. So it, I love it that much where it doesn't feel like work to me. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that it truly is so natural to do this that I just, I love it. So I am working and I am on a lot, but you know, I am in a relationship and like, I have to make time outside of this business. I'm learning how to DJ, which is something I've always wanted to do. And I'm like, that is so fun. Well, I just want hobbies. You know, I don't want to be so, I realized that I just was talking about work a lot, like for years, I would just talk about work. And that was my identity. That's all I did. It's all I thought about. It's all I cared about about was like making money. And it just wasn't what made me happy at the end of the day. Like, I don't think it should be everything to you. And I just realized, God, I need to have hobbies. Like I need friends. Like I need to build a life outside of who are, who is Brie? Who, who is she? Okay, cool. She's a business mogul, but like, what else is she? And that's when I realized I needed other things besides just my company that didn't it wasn't so self, a self-fulfilling prophecy, if that's the right word I'm looking for. It wasn't so um, e- ego of building Brie or talking about Brie. It's like, no, like I am my own brand. I am my company, but there's so much more to me and I have so much more depth than what I do. What is a day in the life? Like, how do you carve out that time for you? What boundaries yeah. do you put on your schedule? Because it is really hard. I mean, yeah. it's really easy to get sucked into it is, but the you world. Also, yeah. I think it's also just like not feeling guilty. And I think because I have a team now that I'm able to not feel guilty because I have people doing jobs that a, I don't really want to be doing and B can scale and leverage me better. So I now can take time. Like if I wanted to take the entire day off today, I, I would. And it took me obviously time to like get to where I am now. But I, I think that it's important. So working out is a big deal to me. I work out and have a personal trainer three days a week, two to three days a week. So in the mornings I cut, I cut out time for working out. Cause if I'm not, if I'm not, I need to, you have to put yourself first before you put anything else first. Self-care number one, if you don't take care of yourself, you're going to show up shitty for your employees. You're going to show up bad for your family, your teammates, your boyfriend or girlfriend, you're going to just show up, not the best self. So I'm all about putting yourself first. So taking care of myself means working out. It means doing a hobby during the middle of the day. If I feel like it, 
It means clocking out at five and then I can clock back on at seven and answer emails. It's, it's, you need to know yourself though, in order to know when you've hit and reached your limits and when you need to say no to things, you just, and, and not feeling guilty. But I think that if like, I wasn't, I, it took me four years to feel this way. I didn't feel that way for the first few years is the first few years. It was all about like proving it, proving that I can do it, prove that I can make money, prove that I can have a company that I can build a business. And then now that I have that, it's like, okay, now I can just, I can't chill. Right. Cause I have such a huge goal ahead of me and like what I need to do with this company and then the other business that it's more so like it, I, if I wasn't here, it would still run without me. And that is like a really refresh. It's a refreshing feeling to, to feel. So you are definitely, you know, you take on a mentorship. Yes, you are a boss, but you take on what it seems to be a mentorship role with your staff, with your, you know, the people in your company. Do you have any mentors? I know that you pull in people, you know, and consultants to help, you know, build your company, but, but do you personally have any people that you work with? First of all, I'm lucky enough to call some of my mentors, also clients of mine and be able to riff off them. Pyle Kadakia is a huge mentor of mine. Um, you know, she ran class pass, came out with class pass, Ali Webb, who started dry bar, Susan Feldman, who started one King's lane, uh, Sheila Nazarian, who's on the Netflix show before and afters. I have those women that are super like their mom, like most of them are moms and they're like the women I want to be and like look up to. So I, I have those women, thankfully in my corner. And then my mom is a mentor of mine. Uh, she, one of her best friends sold her company for over a hundred million dollars. She's a mentor of mine. She came from nothing. Um, this woman and also I, I have a male mentor. I have two male mentors that are also members of ours. And one is Larry and one is seen on and seen on is the most well-connected person I've ever met in my life. He's given me so much business. He'd either for me in a second, if I needed him. And he's like, I will always have your back. I'm in your corner. I will like, he's like my biggest cheerleader and lives in orange County. And then I have Larry who seen on connected me to who ran a $150 million architecture company, taking it from 2 million to 150. And he's like my dad's age. And I think he kind of looks at me like a daughter. And so he mentors me too. So I really do have a lot of people that I, I lean on and can lean on, um, for business and ideas. And, uh, I'm talking to another consultant that I might be bringing on who ran all of Nordstrom women's division out of Seattle, who sat on the board of Nordstrom. I have really good connections though, because I've been networking for so many years and I feel really lucky to have these people in my corner. And a lot of them happen to be clients, which is funny too. I've kind of like sort of manifested that. That's awesome. What is one item that you think that men and women need must have in their wardrobe? Well, I would say men need, <laughs> men need to have a great jacket, whether it's a sport coat, whether it's a bomber jacket. I think guys look great in an awesome, like just when you put on a jacket that fits well, it just makes you feel really great. So I would say for a guy and then for a woman, I would say probably a jacket too. Like you need a leather jacket or you need a blazer, but I feel like a boss when I put one of those on, I feel like powerful. 
So I think you need something in your closet that just makes you feel like you've got that extra oomph when you wake up. Totally. And in your company, you style both men and women, but you've really carved out a unique niche in the men's wear field. Yes. Can you speak to that specifically? Yeah. So we have a custom bespoke clothing business. I love that. We launched it. It's, it's still the sites being built for it now, but it's, um, it was a massive part of our company before the pandemic where we would sell suits and sport coats and all that. And then I rebranded it, found in a way better manufacturer that's all handmade garments. And we're testing it out actually to do it virtually now too, where it's not just in LA and orange County. So I'm really excited about that. But 60% of our clientele is male. I think a lot of guys hate to shop, don't know where to go, don't know what to do. And the way that I train my salespeople is like, we don't ask, we tell. We tell people how to dress. We tell them what to wear, how to look good. That's why you're hiring a pro. You're hiring a pro to not have to think and to make your life easier. And so there was always, I love that we work with men, A, because 90, there's one guy in the company, but there's, we're all women pretty much. And I like the fact that it's women telling men, I think guys want to hear from a, a woman most of the time. And then I also think women also like to hear it kind of from guys. So like I have Marcus on the team and I love, I think what sets us apart is we work with men because most stylists only work with women. <laughs> and that's what I liked about Tron club is that they were known for working with guys. They started with men. And that's when I got, you know, my chomps down in in the men's side of things. And I was always make, going back to college. I was starting a menswear lifestyle business, you know? And I was like, I just want to make guys feel cool and like make guys cooler. And, oh, you want to get the girl or like, if you're gay, cool too. But like, you want to feel cool. You want to look better. Like my company knows how to do that for you. Totally. We know how to make you build a staple foundation wardrobe make your life easier. You can trust us. It's like truly hiring an interior designer for your, for your closet. That's awesome. So the, the term company culture is such a buzzword. And I find that oftentimes companies will have, you know, cool vending machines or like all these like special things, but the actual community within the staff might not be, might not be healthy. How do you create a healthy and collaborative community of Bree Jacoby employees? it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. It is a challenge. I have had to lean heavily on two managers in the company to help set the culture mm -hmm. because there have been mess ups and there have been people who have not fit with the business, especially when you're a small business. If you have one bad seed, it really just kind of infects your whole garden. Totally. And I don't want to be a babysitter. I don't want my leaders to be babysitters. Like people were hired for a reason to do their job. It is hard to build a culture where you're not going to an office every day. A lot of what we do is like being a sales agent in real estate, right? Like right. I always, I think of our business very much like real estate. Um, you know, I happen to be the top agent. The agency is my name. And I have agents under me and I want an army of me. I want an army of like soldiers, like Brie soldiers, right? And it's like, I, I call myself like Brie Bootcamp when people come to work here. Cause I, it's really, it really coming here is like not only personal development. My, my team always says, it's like, when you come to this company it will change you both professionally and personally. And I think that's because I try to instill confidence in people. And I don't think everybody is as confident as me. And so I'm like, or I also can see potential in people where I'm like, actually, you're really good at managing before they even can see that. And then 
this just happened. I, I promoted one of my girls to being a manager and she didn't really have the management experience, but it comes so natural to her that I'm like, this is what you're good at. You're good at sales and you're good at managing. And she's like, oh my God, I can't. And like, we went to dinner. I'm like, she's like, I can't believe that you saw that in me before. I'm so lucky to have you as a mentor. And like, I think it's attracting people in your team that are like gracious and thankful and like, you know, um, humble in the sense. And then also I lead by example. And I, I very much believe that is I have, I set the tone of the whole company. So you know, I've had to learn the hard way. If I show up and I'm in a bad mood, it's going to make everyone else scared of me, or it's going to make everyone else in a bad mood. So take a minute having a, we call it radical candor in the business. It's another kind of buzzword right now, but when, when someone's in a bad mood, you know what, just tell somebody, Hey, you know what? I had a shitty morning. I need a minute to breathe. And I've had to tell people, you know, Hey, don't take any offense to what I say. If I send a blunt email, if I send a blunt message on Slack, I'm doing 15 million things. Like you want me to move fast and don't interpret me or take me personal. And I think that I can be very brash at times, which hasn't always been a good thing. Um, But I have a team of women that have had to toughen up around me. I've had to toughen up a little bit, but also like, you know, buffers. I've had to learn how to have buffers around me, you know, and that's not my skill set. Like I, it's my skill set isn't, coaching the teams. I want to coach one person who then coaches all the rest of the people. That's what I love doing. That's what I'm obsessed with. So now that I'm coaching and mentoring one of my managers, it's like amazing. Cause I'm like, Oh God, I could just have this like real authentic conversation with you where I'm looking at you as a leader. There is no like me talking down. It's like, no, we're on the same level. Like, let me just help you. Let me help you make your, make you a career. Let me help you guide because if I guide her the right way, she's going to guide everyone else the way that I want her to guide them. And so culture is tricky though, especially when you're remote, especially when you're remote. So we do certain things. Like we do the beginning of every month, we do a team day for about all day long. We start off with a team meeting, a kickoff meeting. We talk about reviews. We talk about transformations of clients that we've had. Cause like my company is very much a transformational business. It's not just, we sell t-shirts and we sell cool clothes. It's, we completely take somebody change your life, change your wardrobe, get them set up on dates. Like it is a lifestyle working with our business. And I'm really passionate about that because otherwise you just go buy your own clothes online or go into a retail store. But with us, it's an experience. It is a true experience of hiring somebody for your wardrobe and your closet. I mean, you go into people's homes, like there's nothing more personal than being in someone's space and changing in front of somebody. It's very, very personal. Um, so I, I hire people who are incredibly passionate about transformations, who are very passionate about doing the right thing for people, like good people, like good humans. And then I listen to my leadership team. If they're having a tough time with an employee, we need to come to Jesus moment. If it, people know if I'm involved in those conversations, it's not going to be good, you know, and I don't want to be like, don't make me go into the day-to-day when I don't need to be in the day-to-day. I, I need to be flying high. And that's why I have managers in the team and people that you trust. And um, I think the, the team sales day helps. And then also our manager like puts together different sales contests. And then we're on Slack and we're on emails and we do trainings a couple of times a month now where we do either added trainings on the pitch. How do you pitch new members? How do you close new clients? How do you do a closet edit? So I think it's, it's a lot of collaboration. It's being able to give people certain assignments that we feel like they're good at. Like one of the girls is amazing at selling women's clothes. So we're like, cool, you should, you should, you're going to do a PK product knowledge meeting every month, find the retailer you want to do. Let's come up with a contest. And like, you can own that. 
little things like that, that I think kind of just set people up for adding more value than just what they do for their job. Like, I don't want, I don't want working here to be like a job. I want it to be someone building a career. Like you're actually eat, sleeping and breathing this. And the beauty is that you can do this company anywhere. You could be on vacation selling a Bottega Veneta handbag and making commission on sales. And that's why I built this because I was a salesperson and I didn't want to be tied down. I wanted to work where I wanted to work. If I wanted to be on a beach slaying Rolexes, I would like, I wanted to do that. And I wanted to build a company and a mentality of an employee who's like, God, this is fucking awesome. Like I can do this anywhere. And by the way, I haven't gotten it all right. Like I haven't, there are tough decisions I'm making this month. Like I'm, you know, I'm making transitional changes. And then I'm also hiring, you know, mid, mid month, next month, you know, and I, and I have to make these changes, but during the pandemic, I fired half my company. Uh, they weren't the right culture fit. I had a lot of entitled girls in this business and I don't do entitlement at all. I have a zero tolerant policy for drama and for entitlement. I'm not too good for anything. I don't give a shit. I'll take out the trash. I will put on the bottom of a pair of shoes. If we have an event, like Nothing is too good for me, which means nothing is too good for you. That's just how I roll. And I always be like that. Like I started from the bottom, you know, I have no problem going to the bottom. I've done all of your jobs. I've done every single one of your jobs. And I think that sort of like humble mentality of being a leader that will just like do whatever it takes. If my team is down and we're down an employee like this month, like one of my teammates got hurt. She's out the entire month. I went back in sales. What am I going to do? Make my team suffer? No, like nothing's right. good for me. Like you, you have to do whatever it's going to take, even if it's not what I want to do. But by the way, selling is my roots. Like selling clothes is my roots. And I'm like, do I still got it, bitches? You know, like, that's like, <laughs> like and they were all like rooting me on. They were texting me like, Brie, you got this. Like, you know, I know I fucking got it, dude. Like, well, you know, but I'm like, I got it. Like I started the company. Like I've been selling for 10 years and I had a $30,000 sale. And like, they were all like, what the, you know, but it's kind of like those moments where I'm like, I'm so obsessed with it, but also it shows other people like, holy shit, she can do it, which means I can do it. And that's what I want people to feel is like, if I'm doing it, you can do it. Like I I'm going to set the tone for the whole team. And I respected people I worked for that just did what it took, you know, like there wasn't an, an ego about it. There was a, a get it done attitude. And but, but culture is tricky. Growing teams is tricky. Having employees is tricky. Uh, dealing with personalities. And I, I work really hard. I'm not good working with sensitive people. I just am not good at it because um, I'm so business and I'm so solution oriented that I don't get feelings involved often. I am very, I'm very much, now I can kind of talk more about my feelings as I've done therapy, but <laughs> I am very much like problem solution. I tell the entire team we have in, we have a training manual that we coach everyone on and we defer to it all the time. It's like our Brie Bible. And one of the things is communication. I bought everyone the book, like nonviolent communication, but communication is such a big deal. So like, if you have a problem with anything, you're coming to the term, the the team with two solutions. I don't want to hear problems. I want solutions. And if you don't have a solution, then you're going to come up with a shitty solution. And we're going to talk about your shitty solution. And then we're going to come up with a better solution together collaboratively. But I don't want to hear complaints. I don't like negativity. I don't like excuses. I don't do that. And I don't want anyone else to do that. And so I have, um, 
yeah, I'm tough, you know, like, but I'd rather have a team of five amazing people than a team of 50 that are kind of like whatever fluff people. Like, I just don't, I don't want that. I'm, I'm, I get it done kind of, like I said, I'm like pretty scrappy. And I think in a small business, if you have somebody who's not the right fit, get them out quick. That's brilliant advice. Well, I feel like our interview, we could really make a series out of this. I could just chat with you all day long, literally. (laughs) Um, But somehow we blinked and it's been an hour. Where can we find you on the internet? Oh oh my God, you guys go, first of all, a couple things. I would love to get you guys inspired every day when you get dressed. So first thing you should do is download Pinterest, go on Pinterest and type in Brie Jacoby and save that. We have two different uh, pages on Pinterest. One is called Home Style for Her and one is Home Style for Him. And look at it when you're getting dressed and it's going to inspire you on what to wear. So when you, you know, you wake up with a feeling, right? Like, God, today I feel like blah and I want to feel like X or what is the weather like? I want you to look at Pinterest for now. I am building tech side note, uh, but I want you to, and I can't disclose it just yet, but it's going to be I think, I think it will change the world. Uh, but yes, for now, look at Pinterest, get some, you know, get some, uh, inspo going in the morning and like, you can copy someone's outfit that you see, honestly, like if you don't know what to do, just copy it outfit. Um, so that's the first and foremost is let's get you inspired. The second thing is add my company, Instagram, please. It's Brie Jacoby, B-R-E-E-J-A-C-O-B-Y official is the company. And then if you add me personally, it's just Brie Jacoby. Uh, so add those two Instagram accounts and then our website, go figure is BrieJacoby.com <laughs> and you can get started with us. I would love to get anybody who actually is listening to this, a, um, complimentary, you know, 30 minute closet edit virtually anywhere in the world you can be. And doesn't matter. We have members in London. It doesn't matter where you live, but I think being able to meet with either, you know, someone on my team going through your closet, giving you a little advice will make you feel really good. Anyone listening, just when you sign up on our website, say that you heard me on this podcast or radio station and, uh, we'll know, we'll know, and we'll, we'll gift you that 30 minute little, um, closet booster. And then, yeah. I mean, if you are interested in getting started with us, you don't like to shop or don't know where to go or want to revamp your your life, your closet, you've gone through a transformation or you're going through a transition in your life right now, we are the company for you. And you don't have to spend a million dollars to look great. We'll guide you through the process. We work with so many retailers now from a Bloomingdale's to an Intermix to Mr. Porter you name it, we work with it, but we can help you. And we digitize your purchases. And also side note, if you're getting married and you are a guy or you're a woman who's getting married, uh, we should do your wedding suit or tuxedo. I am obsessed with it. We're doing so many right now. And like, let us design something bespoke for you and make your day amazing. That is awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. I adore you. It was so fun catching up. Thank you. It's so good seeing you. I could have done this all day long. Likewise. <laughs> oh, and undress. Sorry. One other thing to, to download is undress podcast. And you can hear, I've interviewed mostly like massive CEOs that I work with or they're members of mine, but I would love for you guys to download that and listen and uh, rate and subscribe. Thank you, Bree. Thank you.
Well, ladies and gents, if that doesn't put a pep in your step, I don't know what will. A special thank you to our guest, Bree Jacoby, for joining us. Another thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and our producers at Island City Media. If you liked this episode, you can listen to it again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review so that we can continue bringing you the content that you love. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at Marin Costello and Marin Costello Radio on Instagram. Wishing you all a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much for joining in, and we will see you next week week.